This podcast is sponsored by MedLite. First and first response. When they trust you to get there, trust Kimtex MedLite Transport Skid Units, the best-selling off-road rescue units in the world. Equipped for medical rescue and compatible with most UTVs, MedLite from Kimtech answers the call. Contact them at 888-546-8358 or kimtechresearch.com. Hello, this is EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful, and we share or tell our stories. We are powered by GEMS. By the way, I'm Eric Chase, and I'm happy to be here with you. And today we are with founder and CEO of Thorne Ambulance Service, um, Ryan Thorne. Ryan Thorne, um, we met almost two and a half years ago, or two years ago, as a result of COVID and, uh, and some pretty awesome people, Anthony Correa being one of them that kind of spearheaded this. But I want to say thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule as a founder and CEO of Thorne Ambulance in South Carolina. Uh, to be with us, to spend some time with us today and talk about things like accountability and leadership and employer retention and and how you're expanding um, when, when other companies are shuttering their doors. So, Ryan, thank you very much and good morning. Absolutely, Eric. Good morning. I appreciate you uh, having me on. I, I know I, I come from a, you know, seeing the long list of, of exceptional speakers and industry advocates that you've had on. So I uh, definitely appreciate you having me on. Well, that's an honor, and, and and I'm humbled that you said that, and uh, I, I also include you in that group. So, thank you very much for for again, the the things that you're going to share are going to resonate with the right people, and 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 hopefully they'll at least be planting the seed with the people that have yet to make some of the the professional decisions that you've made for transparency, for leadership training, for for maybe looking a little bit harder and longer for the best fit as opposed to just taking the first, you know, first opportunity that comes in the door. And and again, not maligning people. We have to run businesses, right? Um and, and we have sure. to we have to take care of the patients and 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 the, the profession that we love, mobile medicine and EMS. So with that, would you tell our listeners, for those that don't know, where you're located, both geographically, obviously in South Carolina I said that, but where geographically within a state and the kind of services that you guys provide. Absolutely, Eric. So uh, Thorn Ambulance Service, we're actually headquartered in Greenville, South Carolina, which is the northwest corner of South Carolina. Uh, we're close to the mountains. We've got lakes. We're three and a half hours to the beach. And uh, so it's a great place to live uh, and work. And then also we have location out in Myrtle Beach, which is about four hours away. So we're on both sides of the state, uh, operate an organization that uh, provides wheelchair, basic and advanced life support. And we do about 28,000 transports a year uh, in South Carolina with, uh, you know, primarily hospital and facility and, and that type of work. All right. Wow. So like you said, a, a great place to live, particularly uh, for those people that that don't just want to be at the beach, but have the opportunity to be there within a couple hours. And for those that want to be at Myrtle Beach, um, it, it provides great opportunities. Now, cost and living expense for, for both. Where are you guys kind of on the national average, if you if you know, for, for somebody that's starting out and says, hey, let me plant my flag somewhere where the climate's generally good, even though you guys had like four inches of snow the other day, which is mind boggling. Um, it is. And it, it shut us down too. <laughs> shut down the whole state. <laughs> I, I lived in North Carolina. Well, Go ahead, Ryan. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the weather is kind of crazy. So I'm actually from New England originally. And so for us to get the type of snow, we actually had six inches at our house the other day. Uh, and while it was a lot of fun for my daughter and my dog, uh, it definitely created some challenges on, on the work front. But uh, in terms of cost of living in South Carolina, it's very affordable to live here. What's interesting is when you start taking a look at what EMTs and paramedics are making across the country, uh, you look at the hourly, hourly wages, um, even in Massachusetts, where I was working as an EMT, um, you can make just about as much per hour in South Carolina as you can up in New England, and the cost of living is substantially less. I mean, I do know, you know, housing costs are going up for everybody, you know, nationally right now. Uh, but overall, you can you can work EMS and actually have a, a great uh, standard of living here. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I thought when I moved um, from the Northeast to, and, and this is dating myself, but to North Carolina in the early 90s, well, 91 specifically, um, I, I even saw it then. and. Um, you know, it, it is either for people or it's not. But if you're going to get in the industry and you're going to get in the opportunity to grow with an organization like Thorn Ambulance, it's that's growing. I, I just want to, you know, let everybody know that you. I know you personally and professionally, so I, I'm I'm able to go out on a limb a little bit differently than some people that might have you on a podcast or talk with you, or people that just go, "Oh, that's just fluff." Well, it's, it's really not fluff. And and Ryan, a lot of the things that you shared with me. Um, we've had a lot of offline conversations when we were working with the Congress of mobile medical professionals and doing deep dives into research or studies or conversations with people. Um, why is authentic, authentic accountability conversations, uh, which you had with me and many other people during the last two years, so important to you and how does that translate to your business? Sure. Well, I think as an industry, I think we have so much opportunity, and I think that we are not willing collectively to be as transparent as we need to be with everybody. Um, I think that, you know, for example, you take a look at our workforce challenges right now, and I don't think that uh, overall uh, we're doing enough to to really let the general public know that. I think we all need to be in front of a microphone or in front of a camera as frequently as we can be to let people know about the challenges of this industry. And so not just the challenges, but I think that, you know, even we're speaking with competitors, uh, whether they be friendly or not, uh, or just other people in the industry altogether, I think the more transparent we can become with one another, uh, the more we're going to advance this industry, that the idea and, you know, and information sharing that we have amongst one another is going to benefit us all. Uh, I don't think that, you know, one company, one organization has the all the answers. And I know that from a geographical standpoint, we're all operating in different locations. Uh, we have different cultures within our organizations. But the more we can share amongst ourselves and the more we can hold ourselves accountable, the more we can advance the industry in its entirety. And Ryan, I, I'm beating my drum over here. You're not going to get arguments from me. And uh, a couple of buzzwords came out and and you know, sadly, just some people talk about them as bad words and then don't take action with them, culture being one of them. And I want to circle back around to that in a second. Um, you talked about kind of control and and things where certain organizations don't want to share or provide or give or say what they're doing best practices why, uh, wise. Um, and, and, that, and that always befuddles me. Um, I, I'm a big person and you know from, from what we've talked about, acceptance without agreement where we yes and people and continue conversations um, we do that with our training as well and uh where we don't know people immediately barring it being criminally 
uh, wrong ethically or morally questionable, or we could say, no, I don't appreciate that. We're not going to do that. Um, but we can still say many times, I hear you, I see you, I feel you, and um, I feel another kind of way. And that allows for that growth and continued oper- uh, opportunities for the co-creative process to continue. And that's something that I've recognized in you, whether you've ever uh, put a flag in the ground and said, hey, this is how I'm doing it and why I do it. You, you've never been through the time that I've spoken with you a no person. And uh, for your employees and you're trying to create culture and you just hired, I think it's Steve Johnson. Yeah, um, Steve yeah. Johnson is our EMS director. Yes. Yeah, so the people that you have on board from your operations, your daily supervisors to the people that, that are running the calls on a daily basis all the way up through you and Steve, um, are people that also believe and feel the way you feel. So how do you how do you allow and afford for a culture like that to manifest itself? And what are the things that you have to do? Well, first of all, I don't think you have a choice. I think if you are going to grow an organization that is worth being a part of and is actually going to make an impact in the lives of, of the people you're privileged to serve, I think you have to have that culture. Uh, there's no other option but to have that culture of transparency, accountability, um, and just the, the notion of working together and collaboratively. I, I think if you don't have that in any organization, you're destined to fail. And so what I really like is I have, you know, I'm a little biased here, but I have a team of, of probably the hardest working people I've ever seen in this industry. And they're people who are willing to challenge uh, each other. They're willing to challenge me. And I love it. And the majority of the ideas that come out of Thorny Ambulance today are, are not mine. Um, I think the best thing that I do for the organization at this point is just bring the right people into the organization and then let them flourish with their, their skills and their talents. And it's just amazing, you know, having brought Steve on board uh, toward the end of, of last year, you know, seeing his 30 plus years of experience and coming from the background and the diversity of experiences that he's had. And now watching him do things within our organization that I could have never even thought of or dreamed of. Uh, it, it's just truly incredible. And sometimes, you know, I sit at my desk and I think, am I even qualified to be here? I mean, with, with all the talent on this team, it's like, uh, it's so great to be surrounded by such unbelievable people um, who are so, you know, visionary and so mission focused and and truly care about what they do. I, I think one of the things that I've seen in this industry, sadly, is the longer you're in it, the more you kind of lose that compassion or that desire to really you know, do or care about the things you once did. But I've been so fortunate to bring people to the team that have the experience, but also still have the love for the game uh, that I feel that so many lose over the years. It's it's amazing. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I've been on teams in the past where, you know, it, to use a football analogy, and, and you guys, I think, do special events for the uh, South Carolina Gamecocks. If, if I remember well, that I, correctly. I go to their games. We, we actually, we play for, uh, so we do some teaching with South, uh, University of South Carolina, but we cover Clemson football and two other collegiate Oh, teams. that's right. It's Clemson. I'm sorry for those those that are fans of Clemson. I happen to be a fan of uh, the Gamecocks as well and the Five Points District and, 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 lo- and love Columbia and uh, all of that. That's kind of my stomping ground or my, the stomping ground where my brother lived down there. We would, uh, I would drive down from Raleigh or Garner or wherever I was living and, uh, and spend long weekends having fun, sometimes painfully fun weekends, but uh, <laughs> yes. never needed EMS though. Um, diversity, inclusion, culture. Um, you talked about respectful and, and to use again, the football analogy or go back there. I w- I've been on plenty of teams where we were tackling each other versus the issues externally and infighting and, and things like that. 
Um, now, Shirley, you as an organization, you as a president and a CEO, Steve, and, and your other leaders and managers uh, won't put up with that kind of stuff. But um, depending on the nature of the argument, it, it's not necessarily going to be a terminable offense, um, but that means you have some passionate people. You just have to figure out how to engage them to be less caustic maybe, but also be willing to share their ideas uh, in a little bit different and more professional manner. So what are some of the tools that you guys have implemented when you have run into conflict or some of your supervisors have run into conflict and how, how they've dealt with that? Well, I mean, absolutely. You know, you have some heated conversations and, and you have people who are very passionate about their ideas and whatnot. But I, I have to say, and I'm being totally truthful here, I, I think probably one or two in the last five years that I can think of where we had some, you know, really knockdown drag out discussions, but, you know, to the point where one of us had to walk outside, walk around the building a couple of times, take a breather, come back in. But, but I loved it because what it did was once everybody kind of, you know, the whole cooler heads prevail kind of concept, when everybody came back to the table uh, and sat down and kind of had just had an opportunity to chill out for a minute, the conversation just got better from there. It just realized, hey, you know what? We were looking at this the wrong way. There, there are great ideas coming from each of the individuals around this table. So let's figure out a way. Um, and in one of these situations, uh, it actually did lead to ultimately um, a departure from the team where we said, based on how uh, there was a lot of blaming, there was pointing fingers, there was no um, holding themselves accountable and really um, owning their responsibilities. And so for people like that, um, you know, you look at, um, you know, there's some great books out there and I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name right now, but step up and leave. Uh, Frank Vesusa, he's got the three U's, you know, are you unaware, unable or unwilling? And that's what we look at with our staff. And, and if they're unwilling to do something, uh, you can't have that person on your team. If they're unable to do something, you can repurpose them or put them on a different seat on the bus. If they're unaware, you can teach or train them. But if they're unwilling, then do they really even belong on your team? And and I really appreciate hearing that. I, I was at a conference um, a few months ago, and where with that, you know, kind of the unaware, unable, or unwilling, we talked about addition by subtraction too, and giving employees the opportunity and their specific choice to make. And uh, you know, when they say, "Is this a counseling session? Is this a no? This is an opportunity session. This is an this is a an accountability session where these should they should be normalized." And you is, is my subordinate, have not met X, Y, or Z. And, you know, we don't know if there's something going on personally, if there's something going on professionally that we need to know about to make everyone's jobs, including yours, your work, your, your environment better, safer, happier. Um, and then once we kind of drill down to the point where we recognize that it's, it's specifically this person that, that gets into that unwilling category allow them to make a choice. And so then your organization, and, and this is the big argument right now, and we have people from across the country, from the top of the, the Northeast down to the, um, you know, the most Southern point on the Southwest part of the, the country and, and across. And, um, you know, people like, I, I can't let people get rid of themselves. I, I, I can't terminate them, but for this and this and this infraction, because we don't have butts in the seats and we don't have people running and, uh, and then the proponents of, of the conversation or the ideas where the addition by subtraction, you'll have more people coming back to your organization and or new people that, that have heard the changes happening where it's not just uh, word speak, if you will, that the organization structure 
is actually improving. The organizational culture is actually improving because one or two people that were the um, rowing in the opposite direction, you know, specifically doing anything but even sitting in the boat and being neutral, they were intentionally doing things to uh, to create problems. So um, it, it's neat. And absolutely. And to that, to that, to that end, if, if you don't mind here, uh, one of the things I like to say, maybe it's not uh, the most professional thing to say, but I'd rather run short than stupid. Uh, that's something we kind of say it jokingly, but it's kind of that whole notion of addition by subtraction that you've got to have the right people on your team. And if you have to run a little short on your team, uh, and that may even include some of your administrative staff working in the field to cover positions, if you have to do that in the short term, uh, in order to make sure you have the right people on your team, on your bus, then that is what's going to lead to your long-term success and sustainability in this industry. You cannot continuously, and this is what I think frustrates me about our industry right now, what I'm seeing is because of the workforce shortages and the challenges we're seeing in this industry, so many organizations are willing to cut corners or lower the bar, lower their standards. And what I don't think a lot of people realize is, yes, that may be helping you fill your staffing numbers in the short term, but what is that doing not only to your organization, but to our industry as a whole um, over time? It, it's just continuing to lower the bar when we, you know, somebody like you, somebody like me, when we are people who want to continuously raise the bar and see this industry as the professional industry that it is and the professionals that work within it, we cannot allow that bar to be lowered. And so that's why anybody that's listening to this, I would encourage them, get through this tough time right now without reducing or lowering your standards, because at the end of the day, it's going to lead to so much more success down the road uh, than just simply fixing or filling a short-term gap or problem that we have. So we have to be in it for the the long game. You know, it's funny when you think about movies and, and criminal actions and the long con, if you will, where where you get people. And, and obviously you're not in it, the con people, but it just reminded me of that kind of phrase. We have to have endurance, you know, that analogy. It's uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, how how in the world are we getting these things done if we're consistently running as fast as we can for as far as we can. And then we're aren't, then we're not able to do anything else or provide anybody else the service. And I don't just mean as a EMS provider walking in the doors or running down the street once they get out of the ambulance, but as, as owners, as educators, as people that are trying to c- continue to keep the industry and the profession afloat as our numbers apparently seem to, to continue to dwindle. Um, a lot of people say, and you, you're, you follow a lot of different, sites on on social media there's there's the one group that's literally only a proponent of if you raise the money so say for example paramedics start out at 30 dollars an hour um period point and blank and you'll fix all the problems and uh and, and then there's a lot of people well if you don't improve the education we can't ask for more money and reimbursement uh, I don't want to get into where you specifically are unless you're willing to say, but at the same time, paramedics that just want 30 or $40 an hour, that don't have the effective skills in the, or as I like to call them and, and several other ones of us call it the essential skills, because we haven't taught that to them. And again, are they unaware, unable, or unwilling to, to grow? Um, but yet we're demanding more money. Um, and I think compromise is always been the best opportunities for growth that I've seen, but where do you kind of lie in that, those arguments where, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, you'd obviously pay more, 
but you, sure. you have operational costs, you have physical costs, you have uh, human personnel costs. And um, I'm just curious where your thoughts are on, on those topics. Well, well, I think it's a culmination of, of all the above. I think one of the things that, that we're doing is, you know, we're, we're private for-profit ambulance service. So we're not required to share financial data or anything like that, but we actually do share a lot of our expenditures with our team. I want them to know what we're spending on payroll benefits, taxes. I want them to know what we're spending for vehicle repairs and maintenance, fuel. I mean, you name it. I want them to know the cost because I think too often you've got EMTs and paramedics and, and I'm probably guilty of this early on in my career too. You think about what you make an hour and you're like, well, I know what Medicare pays for this or for that but you don't really consider the whole picture, what it takes to run that ambulance, you know, all the way down to the tires on that vehicle, um, every little piece of the puzzle, the technology, the personnel, all of that costs money. And so when you think, well, Medicare pays the X dollars per, per transport, well, that's great. But when you really extrapolate that number out to looking at what the expenditures are that go against that revenue generation, it is not, it's not a pretty picture in our industry. And that's why you see the wage stagnation that you see where EMTs and paramedics and, and, and dispatchers, billers, I mean, even the support staff of a mobile medical organization, um, they are not able to make the dollars that they should be making because it's just not there based on what we're getting paid for the services. So I think one of the things I would challenge any EMT or paramedic who says, well, I want to make or I demand to make X dollars an hour, you know, they want to make more than what they're currently making. You know, my challenge is what are you willing to do for that? I mean, what advocacy, you know, efforts are you taking or making um, at the local, state, federal level to try to get engaged and involved in the advocacy of our industry? Um, because I see a lot more self-service these days than I see selfless service and people working collaboratively, um, you know, towards the good of all. Um, and I think that's something we really have to change, not just in our industry, but in society. We've got to start looking out for one another and stop looking in the mirror and saying, I only care about the, the reflection I'm seeing. Um, so I think you have to ask yourself, what are you willing to do for that? Are you willing to work harder? Are you willing, you know, to pick up the extra shift so that, you know, your organization can expand and grow into additional contracts? Because obviously scale equates to higher revenues, which potentially can lead to higher wages. So what are you willing to do? And then what advocacy level, um, you know, are you willing to take a role in? I'm clapping. You just can't hear it because um, I'm giving you the golf clap since you're in South Carolina. Um, <laughs> it's amazing, Ryan. And, and my brain is even more lit up hearing this. And, and again, you're not just giving this lip service. This is who you are. This is what you do. The trainings that you have personally attended leadership seminars, leadership courses uh, to get yourself to this position. So was it an easy switch to make when you, when you knew what you needed to do, but from a comfort level standpoint? So when you personally then professionally made these changes, that's why you're able to speak about them so articulately and with so much passion uh, because you're authentically doing them. But for you personally, what what was the decision maker? Why did you decide that you needed to do these things um, and, and take these classes and courses or, or seminars or whatever they were to help get you to this mindset that you have? Well, it's a couple of things. So I, I think a lot of people don't realize I started my business when I was 22 years old. So I'd only been in EMS for four years when I jumped into it. I, I just saw a real need and a real opportunity, uh, specifically in the upstate of South Carolina where I reside. And so I actually grew up within my own company. 
And, and I think that's a unique perspective that I had that a lot of other people don't have in their leadership journey is I had on the job training every single day. So from a single ambulance operation to a fleet of 33 vehicles, there's a lot of learnings just in the day to day, you know, moving from being that, you know, primary provider in the field. When I first opened the doors, I was the only paramedic at Thorn Ambulance Service for quite some time. So I got to basically grow as the organization grew. So as I made mistakes, I also made learnings uh, through that process. But another thing that I've done here more recently is I've got a, a great, great friends, uh, Terry and Michelle Dunn. They own a company called Positive Management Leadership, PML. And they do a program called the PML Experience. And it has nothing at all to do with EMS, but it is transformational leadership training um, I actually would, would probably say that a lot of what you're doing with EMS Improv is comparable to what they're doing, focused more on the manufacturing side, you know, working with companies like Boeing and BMW and Moen and, and so on and so forth. But what's amazing is I've been able to participate in their simulations, and it has been just life-changing leadership lessons that I've learned in that, and then I've been able to apply that to EMS. And I, and I share this to say that I don't necessarily think we always have the right answers within our industry. I think we always need to be looking around us, looking at other industries that have found success or are actively advancing and moving forward and, and latching hold, you know, riding, you know, hanging on their coattails to some degree to say what's working outside of this industry, because I think we have too much in the box thinking in EMS and in mobile medicine. And so I think the more we can expand and broaden our horizons and start looking at methods and ideas that work, because when you think about leadership, leadership principles really are not industry specific. They're really people centric ideas. And, and so it does not have to be mobile medicine related leadership that we are focused on. I think the notion of leadership is what we can focus on and then somehow adapt that and evolve that into being specific to mobile medicine. Again, massive clapping. Now I'm cheering like I'm at a rock concert, but I'm just, not, <laughs> I just don't want to blow out your ears. So I'm glad you brought up the PML experience. Um, a couple of the things that you shared with me over the, over our journey uh, of our relationship in the last two years have been um, really salient points and, and, and uh, I, I not only get to hear you say these things, but you've shared, um, you've shared the resources with me. And then again, and, and I, I've probably said this now three times, you're, you're authentic when you present these because I see that you're doing them because you're, again, transparent. So you're on social media, not only as a person, but your organization and your person shares your organization. That brings up a question. And we talked offline about it. pressures you know ems in general mobile medicine is under pressure to get to the scene in a timely manner and i don't want to get into specifically uh the idiocy of um uh you know five minute response times for emergencies that aren't emergencies that put everybody at greater risk and i i said it but i don't and i don't intend to have any greater conversation about it um, unless you're steaming to talk about that, um, pressures to um, bring in the right staff, retain employees. Um, but Ryan, you have the pressure if it was um, XYZ ambulance service, but Thorn Ambulance Service, that, that is your name, that is your family. So talk about some of the pressures and the pride, I, I assume. Um, that goes along with 
being a president and a CEO and also having your name on every rolling billboard that, that's across the, uh, the state of South Carolina and everyone, every once in a while they make their incursions up into North Carolina on transfers and stuff. So what does that mean to you? And how do you feel? Well, you know, kind of, kind of like I, I shared with you earlier, I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, you're, you're representing the industry and obviously you want to do right by the industry and making sure you're, you're pushing and progressing it forward in a positive and meaningful way. Uh, the same can be said with the family name. I mean, having the family name on the side of the ambulance is, is equally challenging because I'm also representing my family, you know, whether it's grandparents, aunts and uncles, or my parents, you know, just, um, I, I think I actually create a lot more pressure and stress for myself than even necessary. You know, I, the, the concept and the notion of an internal manager, you know, that inside voice that's always pushing you and pressuring you to do things or to focus on this or that or work harder or, or you know, do better. Um, so I think I do put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself to perform not only for the industry, but for the family name as well. Um, but I also think you have to be able to take a step back and be realistic about the expectations and to some degree silence that internal manager and realize that you're giving it your all and that's all you can give it. And so if we have an initiative or something we're working on uh, as an organization and I don't feel like I'm at my best, uh, the good news is I'm in a position where I can say, hey, who, who on this team is better suited to handle this task or this project? And I can defer that. And I, so I think you have to be able to be honest with yourself, too, to say, this is not in my strength zone. And so I have to have the ability to delegate that to someone who does have that in their strength zone, uh, or you're just hurting the, the industry and the organization. So um, definitely puts a lot of pressure on you, but I think you just have to maintain that, that realistic mindset that you can't do it all. And it's all about the people you surround yourself with, especially, you know, my core leadership team is the reason that I'm able to do what I do. I mean, it's really them that's doing it. And, and I'm just kind of their cheerleader and helping to kind of form and cast the vision um, because of the talent we have on our team. But uh, no, it, de it definitely comes with a fair share of pressures, no doubt about it. It's important. And when I heard you talking about pressures, and, and again, you have what many humans, let alone people in the industry uh, or industry and professional pro professional positions across the board, when, when you have CEO and or president uh, or founder behind the name of it, um, the ability to be reflective and then also say, I am not the best suited for this position or, or this task, if you will. So it's amazing to hear you say that. Um, did you always, did your parents do a great job in, in growing you into that and the opportunities that you were given, you know, the trial by trial and error, trial by fire kind of methods. Uh, you said when you opened up the organization, you were the first paramedic for a while. Um, so you saw these things. Uh, so your employees can truly understand that you have been in the shoes that they're walking in. Not that the, sh not that things haven't changed since you, but you still pull, pull street shifts sometimes, don't you? I do. Sometimes it's voluntary. Sometimes it's not. It all depends on the, the staffing. What I have found is from a paramedic perspective, I, I find that I'm, I'm much more uh, I'm needed overnight hours more so than I am during the day. So I do still pull the occasional night shift uh, just to kind of lend some support. But at the same time, it keeps me from uh, becoming rusty, too. And I think beyond that, and you might not say this, but I know that how it would resonate when when. Uh, anybody in management, let alone the CEO, gets on the truck uh, to continue to show that 
this is they're not you're not asking anybody to do something that you're not willing to do correct and and that is absolutely something my parents instilled in me um you know from kind of some leadership lessons through my my childhood was just you know, don't ever expect me to do something you're not willing to do. I know when I when I turned 15 and I was legally eligible to work, I know it was a really big deal to my parents that I start working as soon as I was able to do so. And I loved it right from the beginning. I absolutely loved working, uh, even though it was part time. You know, by the time I was a junior in high school, I was really working full time hours, I actually had my first supervisory position uh, when I was I guess, 17 years old. So, I mean, uh, it's just something I've always loved. And I come from a family that works very hard. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And so uh, it felt like a natural fit. It was certainly not the direction I had intended to go. I actually was going to college to become a CPA, uh, and which is kind of funny because that's my least favorite part of my job now. Um, but I ended up working at a hospital and fell, fell in love with patients. I fell in love with patients before I fell in love with healthcare. And that's, that's kind of how I, I ended up on the path that I did, but it came from, you know, from the leadership perspective and just the work ethic came from lessons at home. Absolutely. Wow. Um, again, all of those things you're saying for people that didn't have the opportunities that you've had uh, in that foundation for you to continue to be successful and bring people in that might not see that in themselves from a leadership perspective and the people that you put into place, um, mentoring and coaching, and, and how do people within your organization get the opportunity? Um, is it something that you guys recognize in them or you ask them if they're willing to grow and, and kind of be mentored and give them growth opportunities throughout uh, their tenure? Or are they coming to you? Is it a combination? And then do you guys have systems in place, um, like field training, but like in this case, like leadership training, because um, all too often, and then I'll get off my tangent, we see organizations that promote people because of longevity and, and time at an organization. And that does not mean that they're not fantastic at, at patient care and, and loving people and taking care on the micro level. But on the macro level, sometimes they don't have the, the bandwidth or the skill set or the desire to truly understand that leadership perspective. And then training, the consummate and requisite training in some HR concerns and some conflict resolution and, and all those types of things that trainings that you've gone through and that I've had the opportunity to go through. But we, we, we get so busy that our employees, that our supervisors typically are just schedule putting out, you know, putting out fires on the schedule and making sure that trucks are staffed and then also being on the truck themselves. And then they're putting out those fires, but we're not giving them the opportunity from a lack of training or time or both to do the deep dives and have the relational interactions with their, their subordinates and their, and their peers, as well as their, their managers. So what are some of the things that you guys have done at Thorne to change that kind of that way that EMS has always been? And I'm, and I'm obviously not talking about every organization because plenty of places do it fantastically. And you guys just happen to be one of the ones that we're highlighting today, but what are some of the things that you do to make that path, that road a little bit easier for people that want to matriculate to different positions of leadership? Sure. Uh, I, I think the first step is, you know, desire. Uh, do they have a desire to progress, to move forward, to advance in their career? And then are they coachable? If you have the desire, but you're not coachable, then you're not going to be successful in your pursuit. You have to be willing and able to 
close your mouth, open your ears, and actually, you know, learn what you need to learn to take those steps. You have to be willing to um, try, make mistakes. Um, you know, one of the things I will say for some of the leaders on our team is I've I've allowed them to make some decisions that, you know, after some back and forth banter, um, I more or less knew that, hey, they're probably going to fail at doing this, but they need to fail doing it. They need the lesson behind the failure here. Um, so I think there's some opportunities like that, and maybe that's a bad example. But um, I, I think what I will say, too, is we've got some some great people that I think will one day be fantastic leaders on our team. And so right now we are trying to identify them and to ensure that they do have the desire to move forward and to start giving them the training and, and uh, the exposure to leadership that they need to start really getting their mindset around that. And one of the things that I think is problematic in our industry when you look at field providers going and rolling into leadership roles is we are trained to be reactive. EMTs and paramedics are reactive thinkers. That is just how we are trained. That is the way our industry works. But when you transition to leadership, you have to have a proactive mindset. You have to think about these problems and challenges before they happen, not as they're happening. And so I think to me, that has been, been one of our greatest challenges in, in promoting you know, highly qualified field providers into leadership is we're asking them to change their entire mindset. And so now instead of being focused on, you know, each individual patient you encounter, you're now responsible for all the patient encounters that are taking place simultaneously. And you have to ensure that the people working with you are out there delivering the care to the expectation level that you have as a leader in the organization. And so, um, you know, learning to trust people, that in itself is a leadership lesson that is often difficult because everybody's been burned before, personally or professionally or both. And so being able to have that, that trust um, but also being wise enough to know when to pull back the reins a little bit. And so a lot of it's exposure and on-the-job training, putting people in situations and circumstances where they, but they have to have the support. You have to have current leadership working with future leadership, building that succession plan for your organization so that when they do transition into these roles, they don't feel like we just kicked them out of the nest without teaching them how to fly, which is, you know, stereotypically what we see in our industry. Mm-hmm. You said, you know, a lot of people call them buzzwords and you and I call them action, action words um, where we want to be intentional about it in our, in our, in ourselves where it's funny, they say the, what is it? The best sermon is a good example. So that reads a lot of ways, but one is, you know, the less you talk and the more you're, you're about it, or as my wife says, you know, don't talk about it, be about it. Um, Doing, doing the things that you say you're going to do and getting them done. Uh, I think it's important. And that's, that's the integrity that I've, I've recognized in you and your organization. Um, you know, people think that we just talk and, you know, we're friends or professional colleagues or a combination of the two, uh, which I believe that I could say that about both of us um, in, in, in our relationship, because it's always been about the greater good. Um, obviously this is, you know, I want to promote Thorne and Thorne Ambulance and you specifically, Ryan, but you're doing things that are actionable for other organizations and people. And, uh, I, and I laud you and, and, and applaud you. And, and a lot of times people look at us in leadership positions or that run organizations or companies or that are entrepreneurs. And they say, well, I could have done that. I could do that. And yet haven't, but yet are always slinging arrows at us as opposed to joining us or partnering with us or coming to one of our classes or, you know, becoming an employee and, and giving themselves and your organization a fair shake and seeing if you're going to be a true fit. And 
when people continue to say that um, I know it all, you know, the greatest skill that I have or the greatest ability I have is to say that I don't know what I don't know. And that, right. that can, puts me in a position to continue to want to learn and grow. Um, with that, that comes vulnerability. And, and a lot of people say, you can't be vulnerable as a leader. Um, but I think every time you, you open the checkbook and you're transparent to your employees, that's a level of vulner vulnerability. When you get on the truck as a paramedic, but yet you're the CEO and the founder of your, organ of your company specifically, that's a greater level of vulnerability. Um, so you're willing to do the things that a lot of people uh, talk about, but they're not about. And, and, and this isn't to bash people. Why have we not enlisted? solicited people to grow more and and maybe they don't have the time they have other events sometimes work for people is just coming to work and getting it done but at least they're not actively disengaged you know they're they're engaged when they're there and then they go home um right. we've we've kind of talked about the uh the neutral employee and then sometimes that can be a detriment to an organization as well um versus or as opposed to just the the actively disengaged person, the one that's rowing in the opposite direction, or intentionally doing things that uh, that are fouling up the uh, the structure, of the company, the organization, and, and they don't care. Um, and, and I've said this on three or four podcasts, but hurt people hurt people. When you recognize in an employee that there are issues beyond performance issues or performance issues that are the consequences of something that's going on emotionally, spiritually, or whatever else is happening in them. What resources do you provide to those people in your organization, Ryan? Well, I think first and foremost, it's, it's identifying. So going back to your, your vulnerability, I think that leaders have to be vulnerable these days. If you're not being vulnerable and transparent with your team, then you're not going to make it as a leader. Um, I think in, in general, uh, the current, you know, workforce, the current generation that's in the workforce, uh, they demand that transparency and vulnerability. And so if you're not providing that or showing that, then I think you're going to have a hard time staying in the leadership role. Um, but to that point, it goes both ways. I think that I've never seen a workforce as as open and transparent as I'm seeing today. I don't know if it's pandemic related. I don't know if it's just generational, uh, but people want you to know a lot about them. And there are things that I would have never wanted my employer to know, you know, when I was their age, for example, but people have that expectation that you know a lot more about them and know what's going on behind the scenes. And so I think that also creates an opportunity for us. So when you have somebody who's, who's maybe a star team member uh, with your organization and all of a sudden they start doing things, acting out, you know, getting written up, showing up late, and that's just not ever been them. Being able to, you know, part of leadership is being able to identify that, hey, you know, I'm not going to just write you up to write you up. We're going to have a conversation about what's going on. You know, is there something going on outside of here or even within here uh, that we need to address and look at? Because there's been a major change in behavior and taking it from a from a supporting approach versus a, you know, punitive approach, I think is is crucial to building leadership trust within your organization. And so your leaders are your your best and frontline, you know, EAP. You know, your if if your folks need help and assistance, who better to identify that than the, the leaders who work with that team day in and day out? And then of course, giving them access to you know the professional you know counseling resources. I'm not trying to sit here and say, well, your leaders need to be counselors. No, I'm not saying that. Your your leaders need to be realistic. They need to be, you know, they need to have their eyes open and their ears open and seeing and watching, you know, trends within people 
And if somebody's trending in the wrong direction, it's not how quickly can we fire this person? It's how quickly can we get them back on track and what resources do they need to get back on track and stay on track? Yes. Um, is a human being, is an is a employee, is a mid-level manager and a supervisor in, in several organizations over the course of my career or multi-systems careers between the law enforcement and the fire EMS, I've, I've been given, been allowed to have uh, opportunities in leadership. I was always given training as well, which helps support the the organization's desires and 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 kind of their missional objectives, but it, they were always great for me personally, and I and I could extrapolate some of the things that I've learned uh, and and to use them in in family dynamics and everything else because uh, they allowed for that growth and that and that they had they instilled this desire to learn in me or maybe I had it a little bit. When you talk about you know the the peer-to-peer or the the your supervisor is not being counselors, of course, but people don't die by suicide because we brought up, are you feeling like you want to die by suicide? That's, you know, oftentimes that person has felt so alone and invisible, uh, whatever's going on in their lives, that they that they're overwhelmed, but yet positively overwhelmed, even though we haven't addressed the root causes of their 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 feelings. But we at least know and they know that somebody recognizes them and sees them for for who they are and and start to get them hopefully on the right path. And I think that's where I love the fact that the people that you have in the positions you have are empowered to have those conversations. I've seen a lot of supervisors that um, even when there's a legitimate concern that needs to be brought up and say, for example, um, a minor infraction that's not going to be... receive a write-up, but just at the very least a counseling conversation. And the employee then feels emboldened to to go above their head and complain to the manager and say, why are they talking to me? And and then supervisors being reprimanded for having kind of accountability conversations. And those are organizations that I find replete with issues and are continuing to see staffing concerns and and, uh, retention issues are, are worse for those types of organizations that they don't even empower their, their supervisors to have these conversations. Um, right. Well, and, and I think to that end, I think there's a general fear right now in our industry because of the workforce shortages, people are afraid to hold their team members accountable. They're afraid to have those coaching conversations, uh, which sometimes will result in, you know, write-ups or, or what have you. Um, but again, that's where I challenge these organizations to stick, you know, stay the course, to keep the bar where it's at or raise the bar. Don't ever lower the bar. Uh, we've had people who, upon receiving what I consider to be a very reasonable, realistic um, disciplinary action and, and coaching, that have just left the organization because they know that there's an ambulance provider down the street they can go work for where they won't be held accountable. And they'll just be left alone to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. But those aren't the type of people we're trying to attract because at the end of the day, when you look at what our mobile medical professionals are doing and the people that they're interacting with on a daily basis, that's something that we must get right 100% of the time. I know we don't always get it right, but we really need to have the right people in front of our patients um, because these are these are parents, grandparents, children, you name it, that need care. 
And so do you really want somebody who's unwilling to receive training or coaching working with your loved one? And I would say the answer for me is absolutely not. Um, and unfortunately, I will say my, my grandmother has had to use our services a, a few times here recently. And I'm fortunate to have an organization to be a part of an organization where I don't have to worry about who's on the truck that day or who's coming to get her because I have that confidence in our team that whoever we send as an organization is going to provide the level of care and compassion that, um, that is instilled within every single one of our ENTs and paramedics. Yeah, that made my head explode um, from perspectives of, uh, you know, whether it's a, a, a actual list or, or a list that, um, that I have consciously, or, but yet kind of way back in the recesses of my mind. And, and if I remember about, you know, I, I'm a heart patient I, and I've been transported in an ambulance more times than I would like to count in a helicopter. And, um, but yet I know peers and uh, subordinates that I would, I could be, or my family member could be uh, suffering from the same type of thing. And I would not have wanted that person to walk in the door. And, and these are people that I've worked with or work with. Right. And, and, and sure. whether they feel the same about me from different perspectives, but my care and compassion, um, you might not like me as a person, but I'm going to give love and the expectation of competency and thoughtfulness and have the pride from a human perspective at the very least where i want to have that uh, relational perspective with with my coworkers, my subordinates and my patients and it sounds like you guys are doing a great job to instill there i want to do, talk about something controversial for a minute and before we wrap up if that's okay with you and you may not even find it controversial you were one of the first people to sure. ryan that i that i have seen post this or talk about it and it, whether it was in jest or we could, as organizations, find it to be actionable because you could be trailblazing this if, if enough support happened. But with uh, uh, haul time weights right now, um, you know, exceeding two and three and four and five and six hours across our country, where, you know, oftentimes we've heard that we have staffing shortages when in fact, uh, or bed shortages when in fact it's staffing shortages in, in, in the very important uh, profession and industry in nursing because nurses have been hammered just like uh, physicians and mid-level providers, healthcare and, and first responders have been hammered with, with COVID for the last two years. Um, but bed delays because of staffing shortages, if we're going to be most honest with ourselves, right. Um, and, and mm -hmm. the truth, and the true things that are going on, I'd seen you post something like, well, let's start billing the hospital after a certain amount of time since our paramedics are there um, taking care of the patients. Um, one of the things that Oklahoma City did, uh, if you're working for the medical director, the Office of Medical Director, OMD here, uh, and you are an Oklahoma City firefighter, you can pick up hours in these hospitals as, as long as you're a paramedic and uh, kind of take off some of the load from, from the, uh, the hospital while they're waiting for beds and, and staff to become available for patients that have been triaged at lower acuities that are still you know, being monitored but are up against a wall, right? Um, my question is, is who's paying for that? The citizens, and, and ultimately we all pay for it, right? So that's kind of, but at the same time, your point was pretty salient. Start, let's start charging hospitals. And, I, and I'm not either gonna be a proponent uh, or, or, or uh, antagonist to, to your point. I just thought it was very interesting. And, 
And if you thought that that was something that realistically could happen, should happen, uh, or would help change kind of these wait times, or or is it still not going to meet the, the the actual need? So I was just curious what your thoughts are there. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, well, I think the reality is time is money. And when we don't have the resources, you know, collectively as an industry that we need anyway to meet the current demand, um, every minute counts. And so if we've got a, a resource that's being tied up uh, for whatever the reason, we have to find a way to to free that resource up or create more revenue in our budgets to account for more staffing, uh, assuming that's even an option for us. I think that when you look at, especially from the interfacility transport world, when you look at contracts, you know, all of these ambulance contracts come with performance metrics uh, regarding on-time performance. And so when you've got hospitals, nursing homes, or other healthcare entities that are impeding your ability to meet your contractual expectations and requirements, I think you're in a position where you're forced to do something about it. And again, if, if a lot of these contracts are coming with financial penalties for non-compliance on times, you have to make up those dollars somewhere else. And so by holding an, a resource for the next you know, four to six hours, whatever the case is, um, that's real time. And that's probably also playing into your workforce shortages and your negative morale, because what EMC or paramedic wants to be helped up for that many hours, uh, knowing that there are patients out there who need the help and need the care. And the example I'll use is if you've got three invoices you need to pay, but you only have the money to pay one of them, the one I can guarantee you that you're going to pay is the one that comes with the financial penalty for non-payment. And so if you're the ambulance service that's billing the hospital for holding up your crew and there are two other ambulance providers that are in that line that don't bill for that service, which patient do you think they're going to take first? Other than you know keeping acuity out of the picture, let's say they're all the same acuity, they're going to take the provider's patient for the one that they know they're going to be billed for for any additional time that's spent there. Um, it's kind of like customer service. The customer who, who shouts the loudest gets the attention. So we've got to do the same thing in our industry and make ourselves known uh, to our hospital systems and our skilled nursing facilities that, hey, we are an important component of the healthcare ecosystem. And if you disrupt our ability to do our job, then it's absolutely going to come with a financial cost to you. I'm, I'm somewhere between being at that rock concert cheering and, and well above the golf clap and that. Um, everything's monetized and, and I think how you approach it. And I like the words that you use and, and the way you are so conversational. I don't believe that you have an intentional adversarial bone in your body, albeit when, when your family members or, or somebody might physically or, or, uh, you know, be in some sort of threat situation, right. Where, where you really have to stand up and, and stand up for yourself or loved ones and including those in your organization. So. Why do so many people think, Ryan, and before we wrap up here, that uh, even having that conversation or bringing that thought up as an idea, because it, it fits economically and it fits um, from an organizational structure standpoint of, of doing the right thing for your organization, why it's seen as when we bring those types of things up adversarial or argumentative or negative or nasty or just because we haven't done it before. And I love that you said, and you gave kind of that nod to, I think it's Jonathan, uh, the ecosystems uh, that when we talked about uh, the archipelagos several years ago. Yes. Um, yes. I, love, I love that you brought up Jonathan because Jonathan's is always, you know, whether it's data or just his passion for human beings comes up. So I heard that nod and I felt it. So I just wanted to shout out to Jonathan Fada. What is getting, Absolutely. What, what a flipping awesome guy. Um, anyhow, so... 
digressing. Thank you, Jonathan, for taking us there. But coming back to your points, just because we haven't done it before should not make it an antagonistic approach. You know, it's foreign to me, so therefore it's wrong. And what, right. what, can, what can we do for these people that continue to see things because they're in positions of power and control, typically, that if it's not their idea or you come with a good idea, they yes, but you. And it's you feel like, okay, this is great. You've taken it, but then they butt it because then they cut it down or take it for themselves. The butt is just like a big no. A lot of these organizations will shake their heads and, and smile. And as soon as you walk out the door, they're dropping expletives and there's no way in heck that they're going to do this. If the, you know, and simultaneously do things to impede you further as opposed to make the situation any better or keeping it the status quo, they're now doing things to actively, and, and I'm not just talking about employees at this point, organizations are actively engaged and, and almost sabotage and, and nefarious activities against your organization. So as, as an owner of a company, when you've encountered that, and I don't want you to get into the specifics unless the proceedings are done or anything like that, how do you deal with that from a perspective of keeping your employees safe, keeping your bottom line intact, and then also, um, you know, taking care of the Thorn Ambulance Service name and, and physical pieces that you have there? Well, I, I think we have to keep our purpose in check. I think it's as simple as that. I think, you know, anything that doesn't add to the patient experience detracts from it. And so anything that we are doing or not doing that is not actively improving patient care should be taken off the table. I think anything else, anything that has potential to add value to the patient experience should absolutely be considered, even if it is way outside of the box thinking. I think it is absolutely crucial at this stage in our industry, uh, you know, where we're at, we've, we've got to think outside that box. So I don't think, you know, when you have those conversations and, and see, this is where, again, I'm a little biased because we have the ability to be somewhat selective on who our customers are. You know, contracting with hospitals, for example, we can choose to enter into or not enter into a hospital contract. And so we're looking for the right partners. We're looking for partners who have the right mindset, who, who approach patient care very similarly to how we approach it. And so when it's time to have conversations like this, we don't have to get to that, that punitive part of the conversation about, well, we're going to start billing you for this, that, or the other thing because we are able to have conversations on the front end that says, this is taking away from our ability to deliver exceptional out of this world care. What can we do together as a team, as a partnership to eliminate some of these barriers to success and allow us to free up those resources? Because yes, freeing up resources is convenient to the ambulance service, but at the end of the day, it's, it's convenient to the ambulance service because it's allowing you to care for more people. And if you haven't noticed, the demand for our services is going through the roof. Every single year, the volume just goes up and up and up. And even if you're a private provider, even if you haven't signed any new contracts, my guess is your volume has gone up regardless because your existing clients are seeing major increases in the number of patients they're seeing and caring for. So I think you know, leadership is relational. And I think that customer relations matter from the relational standpoint as well, that you have to be in a place where you're comfortable having a conversation. And I would argue that if you're not willing to have that conversation, or if you're afraid of having that conversation with your local hospitals, then maybe you haven't established the relationships with those providers that you should have in the past, 
And it's time to start building and or mending that relationship so you can have those conversations without getting the pushback that you're anticipating receiving. Ryan, you could you could teach a class and it's a lot of the things that, and, and hopefully you are both in the state of um, South Carolina regionally and uh, I know not nationally. Uh, it's so hard to get into national conferences where things are different. People talk differently than the status quo. Um, and and just factually based um a lot of fantastic ideas and people with the the requisite uh training leadership experience knowledge skills and abilities uh continue to be on the sideline when when we're looking for things that you so fantastically and well professionally articulated that you're also doing um and, and those are some of the things that we bring to the table with dms improv training as well are actionable person-oriented relational vulnerable strong and, and that's the person that i know you to be that's the organization that i know that you continue to to want to provide um kind of humorous but not before we before we close out here um opportunities for prn or part-time employees or uh and it was funny because i said even me too working as a um a, a travel paramedic at your organization and i know some people a lot of your friends from new england you know, want to get away from the winter months up there. D does your organization at all even consider uh, that ability for like peak times of year where you might have a, a person that's that's a, a great asset, but you know, you know, football season when all of these other uh, contracts are coming in for service, right? Where you're providing service to humans uh, at these big events and small events. Are there times that your your hiring needs to go up to to meet these needs and do you guys realistically offer some of these perspectives or opportunities if you said hey eric you know if you're free blah 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 blah, blah and i'm just using myself because i don't want to put anybody else that thought it was kind of cool idea um, as long as you're licensed in the state of south carolina have all the applicable abc courses and things like that and you can use them and you care about them and they care about you and they're not going to interfere with the team dynamic is that something that you've done or would ever do and you don't have to answer it, it is it is and it's something that we continue to be interested in so you look at the, the myrtle beach market for example in the summer months um myrtle beach explodes the call volume goes through the roof and and we need all the support and assistance we can get and what better place to be in the summer than at the beach so that is absolutely something we've done uh, we've worked with people on temporary you know housing so that they have a place to stay either on or very near the beach it's harder to be on the beach in the summer it gets very very expensive but right. uh, there are opportunities to engage with our team in that capacity if you were to just want to work during uh, during the peak season out there uh, as an example and another challenge is a lot of the 911 providers in that market uh, they work 24 48 shifts in that area and uh, we do all 12s for our for our paramedics for example but they get mandatory overtime because of how short staff they are and so a lot of our part-time staff they'll be on the schedule and let's say it's july 6th and they call at 8 a.m and say hey just to let you know i'm not coming in because i just got mandatory at my full-time job and so uh, we have a little less reliance on part-time staff not because of anything they're doing but just because of how short staff the region is so any opportunity we have to bring people to the area, even if it is in a sh on a short-term uh, basis, um, it would be our goal to show them how great of an organization we are and how much we'd love for them to join us full-time. But uh, that is definitely an option and an opportunity that we would uh, we would be open to. And where they also meet the needs so that you're not, because um, typically when people 
uh, whether it be travel nurses or travel paramedics, they have committed themselves to a specific time frame. So that meets the needs and then it, it kind of alleviates some of that other concern uh, that you just shared with us. So that, that's just a great idea. And, and for you guys to be open to that and do that, I, I wanted to highlight some of those things that Thorne Ambulance Service does and that you are Ryan Thorne of uh, Thorne Ambulance Service, albeit on EMS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful, where we share or, or tell our stories as you have done. I am Eric Chase. And to say all that, to say this, Ryan, you teach me things on a regular basis, whether you know it or not. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying thank you because the things that you do and post is authentic. So we talked about authentic. We talked about culture. We talked about engaging. We talked about vulnerability. We talked about strengths. Um, so many things for the listeners to hear and digest and re-listen to. Um, th this is a, this is a, uh, a 101 class in, in about an hour that we spent together. This is, if, if we were to drill it down, Ryan, and you were to put up one or two slides and then have a conversation with 300 people in a symposium or a conference, these are actionable items that you've talked about. It's, it's kind of cheerleading for those that are already doing it, and it's a roadmap um, for those that want to start doing that. So how can people get in touch with Ryan Thorne, the founder and the CEO of Thorne Ambulance Service, Ryan? I would say LinkedIn for sure. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and then I'll also share my, my email address is very simple. As long as you know that Thorne has an E at the end of it, it's rthorne at thorneambulance.com. rthorne with an E at the end of it at, at thorneambulance.com. That is correct. Okay. And then I know you're on LinkedIn um, and that's one of the great places that I get to see the good work that you guys are doing uh, with our geographic separation. Um, but I love following you and I, and I love, and I say that with the, the most, uh, true meaning of the word love, because as, as, uh, humans, Ryan, you, you share your, your true self and, and I'm appreciative of that. And sometimes it bites you in the backside, right? Um, but I'd rather be sure, sure. backside for being authentic. And I know, and, and I believe that that's the person that you are. And, um, absolutely I'm humbled. I'm grateful and appreciative of the time that you've given us, our listeners, the people that are uh, prospective hires. And then for anybody that's ever going to be traveling that, God forbid, needs your services, and I only mean that uh, uh, from a standpoint of being medically ill or, or traumatically injured, um, a little bit more insight is the person that cares and, and puts together a team that, that cares about the wonderful people, visitors, and everything else that they serve in their community. So, Ryan, I just want to say thank you again. Eric, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to be on here and, and truly appreciate the friendship. From a standpoint of all of those that care about people that care, the MSM Proud Podcast wants to say thank you to all of our listeners that we are powered by GEMS.